Lady Catherine Somerville reined in the big mare and patted her neck with a gloved hand. Not long now, Tamara. We'll soon be home. Then she sat very still and upright in the saddle, her dark eyes looking out across the sea. It was close to noon on this first day of March, 1811, and a strange misty vapour had already covered the track she had taken to visit John Alday and his new wife, Eunice. She could not believe that they had all been left alone for so long, untroubled by the Admiralty in London. Two and a half months, the longest time she and Richard Belitho had ever spent together in their own home in Cornwall. She tossed the fur-lined hood from her head, and the damp air brought more colour to her face. When she looked directly south, Rosemullion Head, which guarded the mouth of the Helford River, was also lost in mist, and it was only three miles distant. She was on the upper coastal track, much of the lower one having crumbled into the sea in the January storms. And yet there were signs of spring— wagtails darting along the bank of the Helford River in their quaint, diving, haphazard flight. Jackdaws, too, like companionable clerics on the stone walls. The ragged trees that crested the nearest hill were still leafless, their stooping branches shining from a sudden fall of rain. Nevertheless, there were tiny brush strokes of yellow to mark the early daffodils that flourished there, despite the salt spray from the channel and the western approaches. Catherine urged the mare forward again, her mind lingering on the past, clinging to the weeks of freedom they had enjoyed without restraint. After the first embrace, when Belitho had returned from the Mauritius campaign and the destruction of Barat's privateers, she had worried that he might become restless, because he was not involved with his ships and men, secretly troubled that the navy, for which he had done and given so much, was neglecting him. But the love they had reawakened upon their reunion was stronger than ever, if such things were possible walking and riding together in spite of the inclement weather, visiting the families on the estate, and, when it could not be avoided, attending more splendid occasions at the grand house of Lewis Roxby, Richard's brother-in-law, and an aptly nicknamed the King of Cornwall. The celebrations had marked Roxby's unexpected acquisition of a knighthood. She smiled. There would be no holding him now. And what of worldly events? She had watched Richard for the usual signs of uneasiness, but there had been none. She thought of the passion and the delicate touches of love they had shared. There was nothing she did not know about her man any more. And much had changed. Sir Paul Silito's prediction had come true just a month ago. King George III had been declared insane and separated from all power and authority, and the Prince of Wales had become regent until the day he would be crowned king. Some people had hinted uncharitably it was because of the Prince Regent's influence that Roxby had been knighted. Although his new title had supposedly been bestowed in recognition of his patriotic work as a magistrate, and as the founder of a local militia at the time of a feared French invasion, some claimed it was because the regent was also the Duke of Cornwall, and he would be quick to perceive Roxby's usefulness as an ally. She looked at the sea, no longer a rival, as she had once feared. Her shoulder was still burned from the sun in the longboat after the loss of the golden plover on the hundred-mile reef. Could it be two years ago? She had suffered alongside the other survivors, but she and Richard had been together, and had shared it even to the threshold of death. There was no sun visible in the pale clouds, but the sea managed to hold its reflection, so that the undulating swell appeared to be lit from below as if by a giant lantern. She had left Richard in the house to complete some letters for the afternoon mail coach that left from the square in Falmouth. She knew that one was for the Admiralty, There were no secrets between them now.
She had even explained her own visit to Whitechapel, and the aid she had accepted from Silito. Melitho had said quietly, I never thought I would trust that man. She had held him in her arms in their bed and whispered, He helped me when there was no one else. But a rabbit should never turn its back on a fox.